0: The future of America, Iran and the media, the lesson everyone can learn from Ricky Gervais, and a history lesson on failure. <laughs> Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello America. Happy 2020. Thanks for tuning in today. This of course is the show where you come for the accent. Did you miss it? Did you really miss it over Christmas? And you stay for the principles. Bet you didn't miss them so much, right? We have a a jam-packed show for you today. I've, I gotta be honest, it's, it's really awesome to be back, to, to be talking to you guys. I took a long bit of a vacation over Christmas. I totally tuned out. And this week I came back and I learned so much this week and I have a lot to talk to you about because what I see happening is so frustrating. And it needs to be addressed. Of course, I'm talking about Prince Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family. This has to be discussed, right? Because this is the news of the day. This is the only story that counts, right? Gotcha. I don't care. This is not the, the show you come for that, as you all know. But I actually want to start today's show by talking to you about what a lot of people do at the start of every new year. Because what I want to talk to you about for the rest of this year is going to be critical. And it's going to be about why America is exceptional. Why you are unique. But let's get back to the new year. Everyone at the start of the new year, the vast majority of people, starts the new year by going, I have this new year's resolution. We've all made them, right? Right. I've made them, you've made them, we all have I want to be stronger, I want to be fitter I want to be more sexy I know that's not possible with me ladies But, you know, we all try But, you know, we have all these things I want to be smarter, I want to read more books I want to be a better friend I, I want to be a better lover I want to be a better partner I want to learn a new talent We all made them And then usually they last a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks And then, boom They go We quiz We quiz And I'll talk to you about failure and quitting later on in the show, but for this part, part I just want to talk to you about the idea of a New Year's resolution, because it becomes so cliche to so many people. Oh, I gotta have a New Year's resolution, and there's this idea that you know, you, you. Let's just take you know an example of you know, I'm gonna be healthier, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be sexier, I'm gonna lose a lot of weight, and there's this arbitrary point in time where you have all this routine, you have this schedule. Up until December 31st, and then you're going to create this New Year's resolution and you're going to eat totally different. And we never put anything into it. We never put any thought. It's just going to be, I'm going to eat healthier. And what happens? We subside. But the key thing about a New Year's resolution is the key question of your mindset. And that key question is this How do you see the world? How do you see yourself in the world? Do you want to have the opportunity and look at it and kind of go, I want to see tomorrow and go, tomorrow is filled with opportunity, with a new hope that no matter how bad things are right now, no matter how disturbing they are, no matter how frustrated or pissed off or angry or upset or hurt you are right now, that the fundamental principle of things can get better and they can. Do you want to live your life that way? Or do you want to live your life with the pain and the anguish and the suffering and the torture that says the way things are right now is the way they always will be? Which do you choose? Do you choose hope and opportunity or do you accept pain and anguish and suffering? You know, in many ways... Because we've advanced so far as a culture and advanced, you know, everything is so filled with technology today. Everything is based around, you know, a touch of a button. You can do anything you want. We've lost touch with lots of aspects of our life that was critical to the old way of thinking. A new life and new opportunities is automatically linked to the circle of life. And how we used to farm and how we still farm in in aspects of our uh, country today where, you know, the 5% of Americans that actually know a farmer actually know what goes on in a farm. You have to understand that process of planting where you get this little seed, this little bit of hope, this tiny little seed that will hopefully turn into something great. You got to plant that seed. And you gotta surround it with a lot of crap, a lot of dirt, and give it no light. And then you gotta waste. And nothing happens. And so many times was we're sitting there kind of going, I planted this seed and it, you know, and all the dirt and I got all the moisture and the fertilizer, and I water it every day or every you know, different seeds have different amounts of watering required, but I water it every day and nothing's happening. What's going on? And nothing happens and we get frustrated. And then all of a sudden, a little sprout breaks the soil. It sprouts its little head up. And then it grows. And depending on what you've planted, whether it's a little plant or a vegetable, or even up to the most mightiest tree that you've ever seen, that's hundreds of years old, it all started as a seed. That circle of life is the same for us. That circle of life is where we got to plant seeds. We got to plant seeds for the future and we got to surround it in a lot of crap and a lot of dirt and we got to have no light around it, no hope. And then we got to sit around going, geez, nothing's happening, but we must continue to have hope and have faith that those seeds, because they are eternal will work. They will sprout. And then when it sprouts, it will become the most majestic part of our lives. Whether it's to be a healthier you, whether it's to be a better lover, whether it's to be a more smarter person, whatever it is, to be and you get a new job, to become a manager, or whatever dream or aspect you're looking for. All of it requires a lot of pain, a lot of sacrifice. There is good and bad Planted in our lives right now. No matter who you are, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're an Irish man like me or whether you're an American, whether you're single like me, because I don't know why, you know, God has mysteries, or whether you're, you know, happily married with kids. Let me tell you something. No matter who you are, there is good in your life and there's also bad in your life. But we have to understand the fundamental principle that the good and bad and the middle and the eh, eh, in our life right now they were planted those seeds that fruit was been planted a long long time ago you can't really change that right now but what you can change is the seeds that you're gonna plant for the future the seeds that you want to be do you want to see yourself 20 pounds lighter okay great well, then you got to plant the seed of eating less and working out more. If you want to plant the seed of being smarter, well, then it starts right now reading your first book, reading the first chapter, the second chapter. So many times in life I see this, and I'm guilty of this, and I can speak at length about this because you all know the journey I've had. Where so much we depend on and we focus is on right here, right now. Yeah, I've got a dream board, and I'm gonna share it with you on social media. But there's a fundamental saying I've come across that is so true, and it is so true for it was so true for me, and I can guarantee you it's true for a lot of people who are suffering right now. But it's absolutely critical to understand. And it's this saying: My past does not define me. My presence will not define me. My future does and will define my success or failure so many times in life we're so focused on the here and now we're so focused on what happened yesterday or what happened earlier on today or what happened last year that we let it hinder our progress that we let it hinder of who we're going to be you can't change the past until the time that doc Doc Brown becomes a reality and Marty McFly actually happens and we can get into that DeLorean and trial that baby up to 88 miles an hour, and we can go back to the past. But even then, if you watch that, it doesn't automatically get to go back and change the past and everything's great. You know, sometimes you buy the sports almanac and Biff gets it and then Biff becomes a really bad guy. He's not the guy, the nice guy, you know, waxing the vans. He's the hotelier. That's not a good thing. So changing life automatically, you think, is easy, but it doesn't always work out that way. I wanted to talk to you about that for the start of this year because I think it's important for you guys as individuals to focus on it. But I also want to take everything I just said and apply it to America. Whether you like America right now, whether you're, eh, whether you hate America right now, here's the truth. The seeds of America right now, the fruit that America is bearing right now, good, bad, and indifferent, were all planted a long time ago. They've all been planted a long time ago. Whether you love Trump or hate Trump, whether you love the Democrats or hate the Democrats, whether you love the Republicans or hate the Republicans, whether you're a libertarian or non-libertarian or whatever the hell you are, whatever label you belong to, what fruit America is seeing right now has already been planted. We can look and argue about those seeds, and we can discuss all those seeds, and we can even talk about those seeds as 2020 becomes an election year, as the Iowa caucuses are only a couple of weeks away. We can spend all our time talking about that. And I'm sure you, there are many of you who listen to a lot of different shows, and I'm honored that you, you include this show as part of your listening routine. But I don't want to talk to you about the seeds that you have planted. I want to spend the vast majority of this year talking to you about the seeds that you will plant right now that will not come to bear fruit for maybe a week, for maybe a month, or for maybe 10 years. Because right now, the future of America is up for grabs. But it isn't up for grabs in the way everyone thinks it is. It is not a left-right proposition. It is not a Trump-never-Trump proposition. (laughs) It is a proposition of, do you want America to return and to plant the seeds that your pilgrims planted 400 years ago this year, and then a hundred and something years later started to become for fruition. We've discussed this on the history of your country on many different occasions, that all the events that led up to your revolution. And then all of a sudden, all those seeds came together, planted. And the result, because there was a lot of time between the Mayflower and the Declaration of Independence, there was a lot of time where we were all going, nothing's happening. I planted these seeds, nothing happening. What's going on? I'm watering it, putting fertilizer. I went down to that organic shop that said there was this is the best compost, best manure, it is the best in the world. I poured all that on it too, and it still didn't work. It took a long time to get to the Declaration of Independence. I want to talk to you about the vast majority of things about what seeds you're planting right now. What do you want America to be? Not today or not tomorrow, but next year, 2024, 2028, 2030. What do you want America to look like? What seeds do you want to plant? Do you want America to be that shining city on a hill? Do you want America to be a beacon of hope for the world? Where it is based on the principles of God's law, of nature's law, nature's God. Because here ultimately lies is the question. Are you willing to make that work? Because I'm not going to lie to you. I would never have. I don't BS you. I'm not here to sing Kumbayati and go, you know what, guys, everything's awesome, everything's wonderful, and you know, the world is great, America's great, and America's awesome, and you know, just all go home. If you're looking around at some of the stuff we're going to be discussing in the rest of this show, you can clearly see America and the world has serious issues. But ultimately the questions all boil down to several key questions I raised for your life. What seeds are you gonna plant? Are you willing to work and sacrifice to make tomorrow a better future for you, for your family, and for the next generation? This is a question that has always been answered in the positive by America and the American people. Every generation has made some type of sacrifice to ensure future generations have an opportunity of a better tomorrow. And my God, look at how much you've advanced and strived and clawed And look at what you've become. Are you willing to make those sacrifices? You know, if you're looking there and I always use come back to this because it's my goal, you know, to lose weight. Are you, are you willing to go to the gym five times a week? Are you willing to sweat? Are you wishing? Are you willing to go through that pain? Are you willing to go through the pain that it will take to get America back on course? Are you going to focus in on the here and now? Are you just going to focus on 2020? Is your life going to be consumed with politics and ensuring Donald Trump wins or Donald Trump loses in 2020? Is that literally going to be the sole defining moment of America's culture for the next 12 months? Because I'm going to be honest with you and I'm going to do something everyone would say you should never do. If that's your sole focus, do yourself a favor, tune out of this show. Stop listening. Because if that's your sole focus, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to pee you off a lot this year because of what I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to talk to you about elections. I don't care. Oh, great. The Democrats nominated. Oh, Joe Biden is old and looks tired. And Bernie Sanders has had the greatest comeback since, you know, I don't know, name a great comeback ever since he's had that heart attack. And Elizabeth Warren, you know, she's so dumb. She had these, but I don't care. What I care about is the battle we face ourselves in. I'm planting the seeds of freedom. Planting the seeds of hope. Planting the seeds for a better tomorrow. Because 2020 is a critical year. It is a year I'm going all in to help your nation. You see, for far too long I have sat down behind this microphone in a country that is 6,000 miles off your east coast... And just waited for an opportunity. Just waited in line. Just waited to say, you know, if I just work hard and I just show how good I am, eventually an opportunity will come. The hell with waiting. The hell with waiting. I'm not waiting anymore. I don't have time to wait anymore. And quite frankly, neither is your country. Now I want to be crystal clear. I'm not a messiah. I am not the savior. I am not. It might be very arrogant or easy to think, hey, I'm Irish John and I'm going to save America. I don't have the the hubris or the arrogance or whatever words you want to say in there or the stupidity to say that's the case. But I will say this. I am a soldier. And I am a winter soldier and I ain't waiting around anymore. I have been disrespected by people which you don't need to know about for far too long. I'm going to earn people's respect, but I'm not going to do it by insults or by hate. I'm going to do it by sharing a message. I'm going to do it by testifying to your greatness. Why I love your nation. Why I love your nation. Defend your nation and promote your principles and work damn hard at us. Because 2020 is the greatest opportunity we have had in a long time. What greater opportunity can you think of in recent history than to celebrate the 400-year anniversary of your pilgrims? Of starting that journey for Americans' exceptionalism. For starting that journey towards the ideals of America. What better opportunity can you think of? Because I can't think of one in recent op- history. Because here is my belief. I believe that freedom's about to become cool again. I've been saying, if you're a long-term listener, you will have heard me say this many, 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 many times. The world is going to become unmoored. And it is looking for that stability. It is looking for, hey, what makes sense? And everything is upside down right now. Everything. Everything. The world is desperate for it, and I believe here is our opportunity to say, you want something to be stable stable by? The principles of nature's law, nature's God. The principles of freedom. The principles of individual liberty. And hey, I'm not just talking to you about principles. I'm talking to you a track record. Look at what they've achieved. Look at how much they changed the world. And look at how much, if we believe in them and we work for them and we fight for them and we sacrifice for them, look at what it will do for the world going forward. My God, there is nothing that can stop us. What opportunities do you want to see? Because I said this at the start of this monologue about the new year. You have two choices with your mindset. Either you can think of a new year as an opportunity and hope and a way to get better, or you can go, you know what, it's just the way it always is. If you think what's happening in the world right now, it's just the way it always is. Oh, America is what it is. It's good, or it's good, it's okay. It's just the way it is. Then, I don't know what to say to you, but I have hope for the future. I have opportunity, and most importantly, I have a passion for the future. Because I'm willing to make those sacrifices. I'm willing to put in all the hard work that it takes. The question is, are you, are you all in? Because I saw a great monologue that I've been, as I, all I did all Christmas was listen to videos about motivational and about mindset. And there's a great quote I read, heard, not read, I heard, and it's so key to my life. And it's exactly how I think about so many things right now. And it's about a treadmill the heart working hard and it was a case of only two outcomes are going to happen on that race on that treadmill either i'm going to win or i'm literally going to die trying that is how i feel about freedom either i am going to live free i am going to live in a free prosperous country or i'm going to die trying you're going to have to drag me off that treadmill in a stretcher in a gurney And that is not some metaphor, that is in reality I am all in Are you We release a new show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. Welcome to all new listeners. It's great to have you guys here, and hopefully you'll enjoy the show. And hopefully you'll stick around and come back for next week's show, because I've actually got a special for you next week, which is going to talk to you a lot about what you're seeing in the world right now. But we're on all major platforms. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on iTunes, we're on... Spotify, we're on Omni FM, Castbox. I'm having the first show back jitters. I can't remember what platforms are on, but we're on every of them. If you look for Freedom's Disciple, um or Jonathan Dunn, you'll find us. Subscribe and uh leave a rating and review if you listen on iTunes. I also apologize in advance if uh I've had, I've got a bit of a chest infection, so if you hear a deep breathing, it's uh it's it's not Joe Biden or George Soros. It's it's me. I'm I'm really struggling with my chest and my breathing and I've got had an infection all week. So I want to talk to you about the big news of the day. So this has been a really interesting week to come back, because I literally disconnected for Christmas. I I just was stunned. I was like, I don't want to know. Just, I I don't know. By the way, I would highly recommend people do this. Because as much as I love you guys, and I love communicating with, you know, listeners of this show, coming back onto social media is like, oh, do I have to? It's like, it's like, I don't know. Do you remember when you're growing up and it's like, do you have to do your homework? Oh, do your homework. Oh, do I have to? Can I not just have five more minutes? But take a break from social media because it really impacts your life for the better. But, um, I disconnected, didn't pay attention to much news. And then this week I had to come back because I have the show and I have to do show prep. And honest to God, I, 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 I wanted to bang my head off a brick wall all week. Because the big story of the day is Iran. The big story. Everyone wants to talk about it. And what frustrates me is nobody seems to want to have a conversation anymore. Do you notice this or is this just a thing I see? So many people just want to yell their opinion at everyone else and hope it works. And if it doesn't work, we'll insult you. Is this going tiresome for anyone else or is this just me? You know, we're going to talk about America going forward, but one of the things that has upset me is on both sides, the lack of discourse and the lack of actual intellectual conversation. Maybe I just lived in the golden era of your politics with the Tea Party, but I used to always enjoy, you know, taking part in, in discussions online where about, you know, flat and fair taxes, you know, about the constitution of states. And yes, they got heated. And yes, there was always insults because people, you know, there's always going to be that person who, who says, Oh, you're an idiot. And then it just, Hey, let's just have a free for all of insults. There's, that always happens, but we don't discuss anything anymore. It's, or just seems that way to me. Maybe I'm in the wrong circles. So let's talk about Iran, as frustrating as this will be, and let's get through the points. So can we just break this down from right from the start? Is Iran a good or a bad country? Simple question. How many people could answer that straightforward today in the media and in politics? Just as a straightforward good or bad country. You know, Iran is a country that has a history, an interesting and sad and tragic history. You know, it's not so long ago Iran was a free country. It's not so long ago Iran wasn't called Iran. It's not so long ago Iran was fairly Western in its, you know, in its actions. You know, in the sense of, you know, people going on the beaches and bikinis and you know having ice cream and you know all those pictures. Like, go Google Iran from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. Google it. You'll you won't recognize compared to what it is today. Is it a good or a bad country? And here we need to fundamentally break down: is who's the enemy? You know, I get criticized in certain circles. You know, when I criticize your president on his position on some dictators, I, I'm I, I make no bones about it. When it comes to rhetoric of foreign policy, I'm pretty much a firm believer in the Reagan foreign policy. You know, it's the evil empire. Now, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying this is what I believe. This is what I grew up on. This is what I saw worked. And this is what I believe in. That's what I would do. The evil empire. The people are good. I wouldn't, I'm not saying everyone should become Ronald Reagan and, you know, because it wouldn't work. You know, only Ronald Reagan could be Ronald Reagan sharing stories about the Russian people and how funny they were because we understood. We learned this when you, the Cold War ended, when the wall fell. It wasn't the Russian people that were America's enemy and the world's enemy. It was the Russian government. And they also had a sense of humor about how bad the Russian government was. So is Iran a good country or a bad country? For me, I think it's absolutely critical for America and the world. And this is very much, when I talk about this issue specifically, you know, especially on Iran, I think it's critical the world gets involved. This cannot be just an American against Iran thing. The the whole world should stand up. And say, bad. Because it's not the Iranian people. There are some really bad people in Iran. Likewise, there are some really bad people in Ireland, in America, in England, in the Middle East. There's always bad people. And there are some really bad people to an extreme in Iran. Twelvers. But it's critical to say, as a country, your government is corrupt. Your government is bad. And they should be condemned with the loudest and clearest voice from America, from regardless of whether you're in the presidency, whether you're in the Congress, whether you're in the Senate, whether you're in the UN. It should be clear. Then we get on to the next question. Soleimani, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Again, this should not be a hard question. If you understand any aspect of foreign policy, and I'm saying this is someone who is with the greatest respect, well-educated on foreign policy, but also extremely ignorant in the sense that I don't have daily briefings from powerful people. But the media do have these things. Politicians sure as hell do. If you're sitting there going, yeah, I don't know, you know, is he a terrorist or, gee, is he not? Is he like, you know, the equivalent of Princess Diana or whatever that idiot said on MSNBC? Is he a good buyer or a bad guy? From a world point of view. Is this, this should not be hard to answer. From an American point of view, it's really easy to answer. He has been directly responsible for over 600 US debts. He is directly responsible for attacks on, on assets of Israel, which is an ally of America. This is not a hard question. This should be the foundation for this conversation. And we should all be able to agree on this. Should not be a left or right issue. This should not be a left or right discussion. This should be, yes the iranian government is fundamentally bad this is a country that you know i don't know killed gay people because they were a you know morally degrading society oh but they're not there no i don't know i have to think about how bad they are but you you john you christian right winger, you know who like chick-fil-a and read the bible and you know think all you know gay people are going to hell spoiler alert i don't that's not my job but you have this aspect where i'm the problem These are the foundation we should sit down and have a build-up foundation on it. Now, everything else we can disagree on. This is where you start getting contentious. So what is the U.S. response? Is it possible in 2020 to have a different of opinion? You know, I love people who talk and lecture me about freedom. Who have the balls to talk to me about, well, John, you're only Irish. You haven't got a clue about America, the real America. You don't understand real freedom, and you don't understand what it's like to be here. And will then proceed to tell me how there is only one way you can see certain aspects of foreign policy. How if you only see things that way, and if you dare question or see it different, you're simply un-American or unpatriotic. Is it possible to ask the following question? Is it possible to hate Soleimani? To think he is a bad guy? To, yes, think he is a terrorist, but, you know, be against droning him by the executive branch? Is that possible? Is it possible to have that view? Because even if I disagree with you, you're consistent on your policies because you don't like war. There are people out there And I'm not saying they're right. I want to be crystal clear about this. I am not saying they're right. But there are people out there who pretty much, and by the way, spoiler alert, Donald Trump is one of them. He has a long track record of this. That pretty much, no matter what the aspect is, the question is, I, no, war. Don't, not, let's not have war. Or another aspect of, you know what, no, I just, I get it's a big deal and I get he's a bad guy, but I just don't want to be the world's, America to be the world's policeman. I just don't want that. Is it possible to be, and I will say this, this is my opinion, to have these views and be fundamentally wrong, but still be, you know what, be patriotic and love their country. Is it possible that, you know what, when you have these views, you're not, oh, I don't know, aiding the enemy. Is it possible just to have these questions? Is it possible to be a fundamentally good person and be wrong in your opinion? Or is it a case of, no, you're wrong, you're automatically the worst person ever lived? Because it is incredibly frustrating to see people be treated who I like online, and I'm not going to name names, but I I like certain people. And watching them be, uh, they've been consistent. I don't want America to be the world police, so I don't want bombing. Okay, I disagree with you. I think there's a case for bombing at certain points. I get, I disagree with these people who say no war. Because I don't think it's realistic. Look, I don't want war. I know a lot of people in the military. I have a lot of friends in the military. You think that I want to send them to war? Hell no. No you want to think you think i want to go to war going yeah i just want to bomb everyone let's just send you to war yeah uh, you're my friend yeah you go overseas and serve for six months and leave your family and your friends and you might not come back and if you do and you get hurt you'll get treated with, with disrespect you'll be spat on oh and if you get hurt by the way yeah you'll get to the va but you know they probably won't treat you properly you think i want that for some of my friends that i know is that how hateful i am i don't want war But I'm also a realist in that bad people will do bad things. The Ayatollah been one of them. Many other people. Putin another. China another. King Jong-un another. These are all bad dudes. Bad people. Bad countries. Bad regimes. With bad intent. And while I get the idea and the principle of no war, there has to be some type of going, well, there's a red line Now, your red line might be a lot further down than mine, but at some point you cross that red line, I'm going to beat the ever-living crap out of you. I'm going to unleash the American military on you. Is it possible to discuss these issues? Is it possible to actually care about the Constitution? Because this is where I start losing my ever-loving mind, where people like Rand Paul and Mike Lee have had reservations, and Lindsey Graham is out there going, Ah, you're unpatriotic, and history will remember you for aiding the enemy. Really? Is the problem in America right now the fact the Constitution is too well-respected, or that it's not respected enough? Because this is a question you need to start asking yourself what seeds are you going to start planting in 2020 the 11th if you're listening on Saturday it is the 11th of January 2020 is the problem in America that the constitution is too well respected and is too well followed and it's too rigid or is the problem that it has been disrespected so much by administrations on left and right and in the middle For so long, for not, this is not a Donald Trump thing or a Barack Obama thing. This goes all the way back to Woodrow Wilson. And I would make the argument goes all the way back to John Adams. The first president to violate the Constitution. What is the problem in America right now? The problem is you don't have a foundation. The question you need to ask yourself is, does the Constitution matter? now you may sit there and i you know what i'll be honest with you and i've said this for a while i would rather you be just be blunt about it and go i don't care about the constitution if we can follow it great but if we can't and we need to get a bad guy and i'm going to violate the constitution i'm okay with doing that okay cool i just disagree with you you you're not a bad person i'm not going to say you're un-american or you're you're aiding the enemy i'm just going to say look we disagree. For me, the constitution is not something, it's not something that you kind of go, Hey, when it, when things are good, this is what we follow. When things are bad, it's, you know, all hands on deck. I just disagree with you. But is it possible to have a discussion about these and have a discussion where it doesn't mean yelling at each other? I'm okay with many different people. I have friends or people I know. I'm very, I, I'm very weird about using the word friends because they're people I know. And I, I class everyone as a friend. I just it's the way I am. But I, there's people I know who are libertarians, who are Democrats who are just anti-war and don't want the America to be the world's police. They're consistent. I disagree with them in, in some aspects. But does that make them bad? But as frustrating as this whole debate has been, it pales in comparison to your media. It absolutely pales in comparison. You know, what's really frustrating for someone like me who believes in principles is, and I don't want to go over old wounds and, and pee everyone off again, but, you know, I took a fair bit of heat from you guys when, you know, I wasn't very supportive of the president saying, you know, you, you know you should really shouldn't be saying as president, you know, the press are the enemy of the people. It's just not something you should do. And as a constitutionalist and as someone who, you know, hey, you have the First Amendment of freedom of the press. Just don't do it. Just, Just stay away from these things. What's really frustrating to me is in an ideal world, people like me would stand up like this and the press would kind of go, you know what, you're right, we're going to be more responsible. Instead, it seems that, you know, if, if, if you, ha- if irresponsibly and stupidity had a gear, they have literally gone into warp drive. It's like, give me irrelevance and stupidity and in- incredibly asinine reporting and bring me warp nine, baby. Just get me there as fast as possible. Because I'm watching the media. And when I say I'm watching it, I saw a few things. And I, I literally just rolled my eyes because I have no idea what to say. I, I literally wanted to bang my head off a brick wall, and you guys who watch it—I don't know how you watch the media and stay sane. i have been genuinely deadly serious because I listened to what your media is saying. How CNN, you know, we're the we're this is not an apple, this is a banana. Oh, we're we're just here, you know, we're fair and moderate, and we're just this is a banana, and we'll tell you it's a banana, not an apple. Is over there covering the funeral. Of a terrorist. See how easy that is for my friends on the left. See, it just it just rolls off the tongue. A terrorist, a terrorist. But they're there covering this funeral when they're throwing gays off buildings. Eh, yeah, no, 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 no. CNN. That's that's not a banana. That, that's 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 nothing. They you know nothing to see here. We're all we're all we're all jedis now. Oh, you did not see this with the wave of hand. Oh, you did not see this. Nothing to see here. When they're chanting debt to America, when they're getting on board America's Navy ships, ah, nothing to see here. When they're literally doing mock-ups of your ship and bombing it, ah, nothing to see here. When you're sharing their talking points, when they attack a U.S. embassy, and the U.S. government comes out and says, no one's hurt, And the Iranian media says, we killed 30 people. And you're literally using your platform to share Iranian state TV. Are you freaking kidding me? I'm at the point where I was like, you know what? You shouldn't be saying anything to people. I actually think, and I wouldn't do this, but I actually think if I had to get in front of a judge and jury and make the case, I'd just say, your honor... Just roll the coverage of what the media said about, see, about Iran. You know, Iran, you know, the debt to America people. I think, that, and just say, I rest my case. This is unbelievable. But then what really gets it, really got to me the most, was that the organizations that say, oh, for Trump shouldn't be saying we're fake news, then go ahead and spread fake news. Oh, we're going to have a draft. This is the start of World War Three seriously is this what you want to do but then as my head exploded and i got that tape and i wrapped it back together i did what i always do because i get frustrated and annoyed just as you do except what i do is when i get frustrated annoyed i get frustrated annoyed i don't go on social media because i want to portray i want to talk reason and logic See, a lot of people I know do the opposite. They get frustrated. They get see something that gets really mad. They go on social media, and it just it's it's impossible to use logic and reason when you're in a highly emotive state. Likewise, when I come behind you people say, "Oh, you don't seem to be as passionate and a- angry towards the media and different aspects of your culture." Oh, I am. Listen, I've been a- against the left since before it was cool. I've been against big government since before it was a lot of you thought it was cool. I just don't yell and scream. I try and bring logic and reason. I don't want to yell at people. I want to have discussions. But then that's what I did as I calmed down. I actually started thinking about history. And as I started thinking about history, especially of your precious media, you know, places like the New York Times, you know, we're so well respected. We're the New York Times. Oh, my God. Yes. A question came to me. John I get you're upset but are you really surprised? And actually the sad answer I'll be honest with you was yes I was because I didn't think they would do this. But then as my brain started talking to me about history because my brain does that because yes I talk to myself. You know yes I am crazy. My brain said, "Well, what is the history of the media in your country?" What was the history of the New York Times during World War II? Was it did it come out and say Hitler is bad? Or was it rather silent? What was the history of the media like? Oh, I don't know. I, I hate name dropping here. Like, I hate just throwing it all in one guy's lap because there were so many people. But what was the role of Walter Cronkite during the Vietnam War? Oh, yes, he did. He's the guy who single-handedly nearly brought, you know, defeat from the jaws of victory in Vietnam. What was the history of the New York Times, you know, on um, oppressive dictators like, you know, Hugo Chavez? About evil regimes like China. And great warriors like Che Guevara. What's their history? Their history is consistent. As much as it pains me to admit, the media are consistent. Consistently wrong. The media have been wrong for a very long time. And going forward most likely will continue to be wrong. I wish I had all the answers. But I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you at the start of this show. What seeds do you want to plant? I wish I was the all-seeing eye and, you know, the, the wizard who knew all the answers. And say, hey, this is how you deal with the media. I have no idea. I am not for silencing anyone. I am not for, you know, limiting anyone's freedoms. But it's getting to the point with the media where we got to find a way how to deal with this, how to have honest conversations about, I don't know whether it's boycotting. I don't know what it is because it is seriously getting to the point where it's crazy. And I feel for your anger and your frustrations. When I see one of your major networks, literally using Iranian television talking points on their TV, I don't know what to say. I, I, I am lost for words but we need to start planting seeds because we need to find a way to share this message. We need to find a way to counter what the media is saying because this idea that, Oh, he was just a swell guy and he was just nice. And you know, gee, you know, when he goes to heaven, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Catholic church, you know, nominates him to be a saint because everyone loved him. He was awesome. Really? Really? We need to find a way to counter this. But we also need to find a way to have discussions based around foreign policy, around the Constitution, and around what country you want to be, and how you deal with these things going forward. From this weekend, I'll be back and fairly active on social media. I'm still trying to reply to a lot of your messages over Christmas, so bear with me, but I'm on Twitter, at Freedom Disciple, on Facebook, Jonathan Dunn58. Give me a follow, a friend request to drop me a direct message. I do reply and get in touch with all of you guys, and I love it. Even when you tell me I'm wrong, you know, I'll always have a discussion. Unless you, you know, want to tell me I'm wrong and in- insult me, it won't, conversation won't go very far, but if, you know, if you guys message me and say, Hey, you know, uh... I have this problem with you, or I think this is where you're wrong. I'll always, in, I'll always engage with you guys. You know, this week has been really a really frustrating week to come back with the whole Iran stuff, and of course, you know, Meghan and Harry leaving the royal family. <laughs> Sorry, that's the best. I'm not an actor. I'm I'm a talker, so that was the best acting I could I could literally do. Um, so I'm mocking um I'm actually, you know, in a bit of an inside joke, I'm mocking one of our listeners right now because, you know, they they love the royal family and they're always on to me going, oh, my God, I love Megan. And it was Kate's birthday this week. I don't know what age she is. Don't care and stuff. And, you know, it was like they messaged me going, what do I think? And I was like, eh, don't care. And I, I'm not being disrespectful. It's just, you know, I find it very interesting. An American loves the, the queen and loves the king. And, like, oh, she's so regal. She's so pretty. She's so nice. She's the queen. You know, I, I have it on the Irish side because I'm Irish, but I also have a love of America. That might come across. Uh, you know, both our countries fought against the English. You know, both fought a, a monarch. You know, so I, I have zero love for the monarch. Um, and it's, you know, it literally is to the point where I there's a there's a news site over here. It's an English news site. It's called the Daily Mail. I'm sure you've all heard of it. But literally, I went onto it on Thursday night. And literally, I kid you not, from like the top of the Daily Mail to about a third of the way down. Every story is about her and leaving. And, oh, my God, they didn't tell the Queen. And it's, oh, my God, it's Kate's birthday. And, you know, she's not going to have a happy birthday over this. I'm like, Jesus, Mary and holy St. Patrick. And then they didn't tell her and they didn't approve. And then there was the picture of the Queen and Charles and the son and the grandson where they were excluded and that really sent all these crappy articles. It's just such a spin. But as bad as this week was... I am so grateful that there was one highlight of this week. And the one highlight of this week kept me sane. And I know it kept the many of you sane as well. And that is Ricky Gervais. So the Golden Globes were on. So this shows you how out of touch and how unhip I really am. I didn't know the Golden Globes were on. I literally got told in a joke that Ricky Gervais said something controversial last night on Monday morning. And then I went onto Twitter and I saw I saw something uh, I can't remember I saw one of his tweets or one of his things retweeted and then I saw a video from Benny of the actual speech and I was like ah oh, the Golden Globes are on don't no idea what it is and I just watched his monologue and it was juicy and it was wonderful and it was. Oh, so satisfying and gratifying and just, just, mm, mm, you could lick your fingers. It was that good. You know, you know, when you have that chicken, you know, when you go, like, you know, Chick-fil-A and literally, you, you know, you've had that like chicken and it's just so good. It's so good that like everything is gone. You're like, you're looking around kind of going, could I lick the box? You know, and then you lick your fingers. Like you're literally going, I do not want one crumb or morsel of this tasty chicken to go away. That is how good that was. I watched it several times because I was so freaking annoyed this week with what's going on in your country. But I want to talk to you about Ricky Gervais because as amazing as that monologue was, I think there's a lot of things we need to discuss about it. And there's one key principle that everyone needs to remember about what he did and why it's so critical. And it's something we can all learn about. And especially in America, with because you were so polarized that you can remember. You know, I've had a long love affair with Ricky Gervais. You know, and it's... I know a lot of Americans have only found him recently because of certain shows. And, you know, Glenn is... Obviously, you know, if you're a Blaze listener, Glenn fell in love with him as well. And he talks about how great he is. I, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. And I just love... I love comedy. I love jokes. You know, I, I love... You know this show is very hard to do on your own and start telling jokes because you know it's pre-recorded. It's by myself. You know it's just not an atmosphere or a platform to share jokes. But I love joking with people, and and I do love you know some humor that's you know not in you know not consistent, shall we say, with my you know personality in the sense of you know I like some dirty humor and you know you know cruel humor. You know people say different things to me. I, I have no problem with it. I, I find it funny. But I've always loved people like him, and you know, it's probably a name you a lot of you have never heard of before, Billy Connolly before him, and I always respected him because I always got the opinion they went after everyone, and that is all I ever asked from a comedian. There will be some jokes that will be hilariously funny, some will be inappropriate, but you're it's a comic, you know, so you should joke about things that are taboo in society. You should joke about the Holocaust, if you want to, if it's funny, not if you've been a an idiot, you know, not if you've been insensitive, but if you're joking about it, go for it, you know, and like, he's done some great sketches on, you know, Adolf Hitler, and you know, what the honeymoon between Eva Braun and Adolf Hitler was like, you know, it, it, and they're really funny, go watch that if you want to watch it on YouTube. But, comedy should go after everyone, and I say this as someone who is the brunt of probably, what, 60-70% of people like Ricky Gervais' material, I'm white. I'm Christian. I'm straight. I'm single. I'm fast. So I, I hit all the criteria, ding, 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 of people who should be mocked. But it's important to remember who he is. And I think, deep down, he's a fundamentally good guy. Because if you actually watch his career from The Office, to Derek, to Afterlife especially The Office and different things. He has this talent of portraying characters in his movies and in his shows of people who you just don't like. Oh, you're an idiot. And you're like, I hate you. And then all of a sudden, as the episodes go along, you, you see a different side. And all of a sudden, you kind of feel like, I should hate you, but that was really cool. And that redemption story. And just bringing that joy in life. But on Sunday night, he went to the Golden Globes, and I'm not going to play it because you've got got—you've probably heard them 10,000 different times, but he called out Apple, he called out Amazon, he called out Hollywood, he said no one cares what you think, and he's got lambasted. But here's where it's important to have a discussion about. So many times people... So I got this this week when I defended us because I thought it was hilariously funny and I retweeted a lot of his stuff. Someone said to me, ah, oh, look, I, I see you're, you know, like Ricky Gervais and I know you'll like him and a big fan of him, but, you know, he's not as good as you think he is. You know, you should see his stance on guns. Mm-hmm. What has that got to do with anything? I'm talking about free speech. I'm talking about doing what he did. Look, when it comes down to principles... We're going to have strange bedfellows, and it's not going to be a time where I'm going to have the same people on my side all the time. Just take you as an audience, for example. A lot of you interact, I'm sure. A lot of you know each other who all listen to this show. There is not a group of you that I will side with, you know, on principles all the time. I will side with some of you some of the time and some of you the other time. There are people who listen to the show who are really big Trump supporters. Cool. Great. You are all welcome. We will agree to disagree, we'll agree on some stuff and disagree on some stuff. Likewise, there are some libertarians, some never-Trumpers, some Democrats listen to this show. That's cool. This is not about, we have to agree on everything. My fundamental principle is, I can respect Ricky Gervais for calling out hypocrisy when he sees it. I can respect him for standing up for the First Amendment. I can respect him for not apologizing and kowtowing to the elite, to the media. And not saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have said this. Because he didn't do that, by the way. It was really cool. Because he got lambasted for t- sharing right-wing talking points for going after the Hollywood and stuff. And he basically responded, instead of saying sorry and you know, doing what he should do, he said, how is attacking and slamming um, rich corporations and the richest people in society a right-wing talking point? That's not usually a right-wing talking point. But then I can have equally then say, if we discuss guns, go, Hey, look, Ricky, I agree with you on the First Amendment. I agree with you on freedom of speech. on guns, I think you're just fundamentally wrong. We have a different opinion. We don't always have to agree on everything. There is not a purity test. But there is a big lesson that we can learn from his speech this week. And that is, we can follow his example. If we actually want to live in a better world... We all need to start following his example a lot more. And that example is having the balls to call out our own side. You see, I love all my friends on the right now who love him because he, oh, he ripped Hollywood a new one. He just tore into Hollywood and we hate Hollywood. Mhm, I agree. Look, I'm not a defender of Hollywood in any way, aspect, shape or form. I'm not here to say, oh, Hollywood is awesome, and it's wonderful, and, you know, the elites, and we should all listen to Hollywood actors, because they just know what life is, and they should all tell us what to do. I'm not that person. So I enjoyed that as much as anyone. But we all need to start calling out our own side. We all need to start saying, no, look, we may be agree on ABC, but we, here's where you're fundamentally wrong, and start a discussion about it because right now in the culture in your culture there are certain aspects of your culture that don't want that they just want to be told they're right they just want that confirmation bias you want proof you want to do that you want to have some proof you want to do a bit of a field experiment trust me i know this because i i get the feedback go tell a trump supporter the most ardent trump supporter, he is wrong on something and just watch how they respond Oh, Ricky is so great for calling out Hollywood. Oh, yeah, Donald Trump, I disagree with this. I agree, disagree with tariffs. Oh, what are you, a never-Trumper? No, I just think he's wrong on this. Likewise, go tell a never-Trumper. Oh, yes, I'll go after everyone. I'll be Ricky Gervais. I'll go after everyone. I'll pee off everyone, which is great. Go tell a never-Trumper Trump did something good. Go tell a never-Trumper this week. Donald Trump, calmly which is really weird, took out one of the worst terrorists the world knew today. I would argue is probably on similar levels, or maybe just a notch below Osama bin Laden. That is a good thing. That a lot of people are have got a bit of justice because this guy is now dead. Go tell a never Trumper that and see what they do respond. We need to start calling out our own side. We need to start calling out our own side, quote-unquote, even when it hurts. Because there was another aspect of the Golden Globes that became, you know, Twitterverse and it trended. It was this actress, I think her name is Michelle Williams, she, you know, was pregnant and basically said in her speech that, you know, the reason she's here is because she had a right to choose and she aborted her own baby and that helped her get apart. and then she won the Golden Globe. Yay, I got to murder my baby so I got to win a Golden Globe. Now, naturally, when a Hollywood actress actress makes this speech, pro life people go crazy. How many times, or how many people do you think you're going to change your mind by going after Michelle Williams that way? You see, it's easy to attack the other side. It is so easy to t- attack a Hollywood actress. It's so easy, anyone could do it. It's not brave. It's not brave. You think you're brave going on Twitter, going, "Oh, no, Hollywood sucks." Oh, the media suck in 2020. That's the easiest thing to do. That is the easiest thing to do. You want to know who we should be attacking on on the pro-life issue? It's not the Democrats. It's not Michelle Williams. It's the Republicans. Republicans had the House, the Senate, and a Presidency in 2016. Did they defund it? Nope. They had the House, the Senate, and the Presidency. Still funded. They had the Senate and the Presidency. They didn't shut down the government over pro-life. Oh, I'm pro-life though. Well, did you shut down the government? No, but we shut it down for a while. I'm not saying you shouldn't shut down the government for a while. Again, just in case people are new listening to this show, I'm pretty much in favor of a government shutdown anytime you want. Except I want it less than that 83% capacity. I want it at 23% capacity. You know, literally just essential personnel only. So I'm pro-government shutdown. Really am. Obviously, I wish your government did less. But, you know, until government that happens, government shutdowns are cool with me. They don't frighten me. What happens? What point does Planned Parenthood need to, What needs to happen? What seeds do we need to plant to defund Planned Parenthood? What f- seeds do we need to do? But that's just one issue. The Constitution. You know, I get... I share your frustration with the media. We talked about it in the last segment. About our, the way it's covering Iran. You know what really equally gets me frustrated? Is the amount of times people fall for the typical political spin and baloney that comes from the Republican Party. They play you so much. They play you like a fiddle at times. Because it's easy to say you're for the Constitution. Now, I know this isn't a popular line anymore, but back in the day, and, you know, back, in, back when I had her in 2015 and 2016, when I started this show... Republicans still used to flirt with the idea of the Constitution. Oh, yes. I'll put my hand on that Bible. I'll preserve, defend, and protect the Constitution. So help me God. And then they get in and... (laughs) Yeah, I didn't mean any of that. I had my fingers behind my back crossed. Who, Who calls out the Republican Party for the Constitution? Who calls anyone out? But let's go one step further. Because, as I said, the whole theme of this show is what seeds do you want to plant? what country do you want to become because I want to talk to you very briefly about two stories that happened before Christmas that are absolutely critical to understanding your country since we were talking about calling out the Republican Party for you know oh, i'm i 'm such a constitutionalist I'll preserve protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, so help me God yet before Christmas, so many people voted for that continuing resolution. Which, by the way, if you vote for that continuing resolution or you sign it into into power, you violate your oath of office. So clearly the Constitution doesn't mean that much. What country do you want to be? Does the Constitution matter? If it does, what happens when you violate it? Is it easy to say, yes, I'm for but is it easy to do it, to live those principles? But also on top of that, since we were that was since because we were talking about the constitution, the economic sense, your country is twenty-three trillion dollars in debt. Twenty-three trillion, and yet you keep spending money. Oh, you need to keep funding those those research into how what helps frogs have the best orgasm. Yes, that was one of the studies you funded. Congratulations. I bet you're glad you paid your taxpayer money. Oh, and it's easy to say, oh, well, that's the left. No, the right funded it as well. The right, the great Republican Party. When it came last year, it was the year before, Rand Paul put a penny plan to cut one penny. One whole penny. Oh, my God. The draconian cuts. Please stop. One penny out of every dollar. 1%. It used to be 5%. One penny out of every dollar. It's easy to focus in on the left. The right voted against it as well. How many people call out their own side? What country do you want to be? Is the Constitution matter? Does the basic laws of economics, do they hold any relevance? Or is it just, hey, just keep printing that money, keep spending that money. Uh, someone will pay for it. Some eventually will, you know, will pay for it. It won't be me, but it'll be somebody. Just keep spending that money. Keep funding all those needless, needless stupid polls. At what point are you going to say enough? But also, another topic. There was a big discussion right before Christmas about banning porn. Really? Are we really at the point in society where we're all just so awesome? Like, there is no issues like Iran. The, Prince Harry didn't step down. This is all we have. Is this where we're sitting around of out? Let's just ban porn. Really? I'm going to be talking to you about this in coming weeks. What is the role of government? Is the role of government to, you know, hey, you should and shouldn't do these things. Or is the role of government to say you are a free individual? You are an individual. You have a God-given right to pursue your happiness. And as sometimes... And I can't... This is the really frustrating thing about freedom. Because everyone who listens to this, who is more traditional and more religious, going, hey, John, I thought you are a Christian. You are really defending porn? Oh, you're just probably a typical guy behind the scenes. You're watching porn all the time. No, I've never watched porn. And I never will watch porn. I know that makes me boring and a prude to some... I don't care... Porn is not okay with me. I don't really I don't know. I, I just it's not me. I've always had a very simple philosophy about sex. If I'm not a participant, I don't care. But if you get your kicks and giggles by watching other people have sex. <sighs> and your people are doing it voluntarily and not been forced to do it, and it's not true forced child labor, then it's a different question of fish. Then it's a different kettle of fish. Then there's laws being broken. But if two people are consenting that those having sex and then deciding to put it on line on, I was going to say on YouTube, I don't even know where to go. What, what's the porn website? I, I have no idea. Whatever porn website... Pornarust.com, right? <laughs> maybe I should maybe that's why how I get to America. Create pornarust.com. Um if that's a website, you update your hey, this is me and my partner having sex and then there's someone watching it and going, Oh yeah, I love that. Then what's harm is it? The idea of freedom does not mean you have to agree with everyone's choices. I don't understand people who watch porn. I don't get it, don't understand it, don't want to participate in it. But do I have a right to say you can't do that? Because if I can, then fundamentally I have broken one of the most critical of nature's laws. That that says we are all fundamentally created equal. If I can compel you to say, you can't watch that, then we're not equal. I am your master and you are my serf. What country, what land, what principles do you want to live under? Because here's the thing about freedom that needs to be told time and time and time again. When you are for real freedom, when you are for real principles, there's going to be times where you're going to be like, jeez, do, really do I really have to get behind this microphone and defend people to watch porn? I hate porn. Do I Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Why? Because it is critical. It is absolutely critical to understanding the idea of freedom, but also to understanding the ideals that your American founding fathers fought for. If you happen to listen on Apple or iTunes, please consider leaving us a rating and review and a, and a star. Um, it really helps the algorithm. iTunes is by far our biggest platform that we're on now, and it's it's helping us find new listeners, so it increases the algorithm, so please leave a rating and review. I really appreciate it. everything you guys have done for me. There's so many things I want to discuss with you, but I want to finish today's show by addressing something. And addressing something that's critically important to what we've discussed today. You know, when in, you get to a point where you want to make some changes in your life, or we've been talking about planting seeds for America, invariably, something will always come up and go, you can't do that. And this little voice in your head will say, you're right, you can't do that. I'll fail. I'll fall flat on my face. Trust me, I know what these feelings are like. So I've started kind of shared a few things with you, but I'm doing a, I'm planning a six month speaking tour from starting from around the 25th of June, 2020, all the way through to December. I am, I've basically been working. I've been blessed with a full time job for a while now and I got myself out of debt last year and I've been saving pretty much every penny since. And it's going to be funding this tour. I know about fear. I have two big fears. And I'm going to share them with you right now. The first big fear is because of what I'm doing and because of the length of time I'm going. I'm risking everything. I'm going to, I don't know if my job will keep it open. I can't see them keeping my job open. So I'm giving up my job. I don't have much money. I don't come from a rich family. I'm going to invest about $10,000 which is pretty much every penny I'll have at that time. I got to go to the U.S. Embassy and ask for a special visa to go do this speaking tour. With the fear that if they say no, that will be a blackened mark against my name for all of eternity. And that may result in me never ever getting into America again. I also have the fear of failure that as I approach and I start sending out... um Bios to groups to say Hey, I'm planning on doing this speaking tour Would you be interested in having me talk With your members And by the way, if you want to help Me, I'm looking for different groups I'm going to be applying to like Tea Party groups 912 groups, GOP groups Liberty Loving groups If you have a group or a a different group That you think I should reach out to Please drop me a message, I would be eternally grateful But I'm going to send out all these emails And there's always that fear In the back of the mind of I'm an American. Why the hell would I want to listen to an Irishman talk and tell me about how great my country is? There's always that fear that no one wanna listen. I know fear. I know failure. But the thing about it is, we need to stop listening to our critics. Cuz so many times we listen to our critics whether it's our inner critic or whether it's our actual critics outside in the world, and we take everything they say as gospel. But it's all about your mindset. If I walked up to if someone walked up to me and said, "Hey, you've got pink skin, John," I'd go, "No, nah, actually, it's it's kind of white or tanned or whatever it is. I don't I don't know what great right color it is." I I wouldn't believe them. If someone walked up to me and said, "Hey, you've got you know you've got afro hair," I'd be like, "No, nah, actually, I'm bald." <laughs> I wouldn't believe them. But if someone walks up to me and goes, "You're gonna fail." My brain goes, yeah, probably will. Why is that? Because fundamentally, we need to understand, when you think of your critics, the biggest critic isn't anyone else but yourself. Because you're the biggest critic because you believe them. So as you thought, think about a new year and a new you, and you start thinking about the seeds, and if you're interested in joining me on this journey of what the future for America holds, you need to understand a couple of things. There's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be people who say you'll never achieve it. That America is what it is. That America's best days are behind her. But also, we need to have a fundamental discussion about failure. Failure is not a bad thing. There's been plenty of failure, been a good thing. I use this as an analogy because we spoke earlier on about, you know, wanting to lose weight and, you know, get, you know, stronger and fitter in the gym. In the gym, failure is what you seek. Yes, I said it. When you go to the gym, failure is what you seek. If you go to the gym and, oh, you're training hard and you're doing whatever you're doing and you're not touching failure, if you're not getting to the point where you're going, oh my God, I just want to die. I just want to give up. Then you're not doing a good workout. Or you're not doing enough of a workout you have to literally push your body to a point that's where the muscle starts tearing up and I can speak more about this from a bodybuilding point of view that is literally what you need to do you're literally ripping your body's muscle in your arms in your shoulders in your chest as you're doing all these reps and you're either doing like high weight low rep or high rep low weight to really build up that muscle that's what you want You're seeking failure, getting to the point where you're going, my arms are so tired, I literally can't lift a cup of tea. That is how close to failure I am. So failure is not a bad thing. But I want to talk to you about from an American point of view. You see, there's this, and maybe I'm guilty of this, and maybe it's something I need to change. But there's this aspect of American history where it just seems to be because it's been written and because you've become this great, amazing nation that you've forgotten the aspects of failure. You see, so many things you have achieved were in the face of failure. There has never really been a point in time where America has achieved or made some great advancement in society when it was likely. You know, let's go through some of your history. The Mayflower. A lot of people back then said, you know what? You're not going to survive that trip. And then when they went back, when they started with two ships, and then they went back to that harbor, and one ship, I bet you there was a lot of people there went, geez, you didn't even get past Ireland, huh? Great idea, moving to America. Going over to explore out west. Great idea. They had that fear of failure. When they went on, they actually went on the Mayflower. All of them, they combined the two ships into one and they got there. There's been a lot of failure there as well. They didn't end up and land where they were supposed to land. They were a lot of a long way away from it in, in historical terms. They weren't anywhere close to where they hoped to land. Then they had that brutal winter. Then 50% of the people who went on that started that journey died. Then they had all the problems of the, the drought, when, which led to the second Thanksgiving. They had all these problems with the British government and the British monarch about molasses taxes. Again, we've discussed this in the past, and we'll be discussing it again going forward. All the tyrannical rulings of the king, and they tried and fought to get past them. Look at all the the Declaration of Independence when those brave men signed their name to that debt warrant. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to beat the British and we're winning and this is a slam dunk. No, everyone said, you're freaking crazy. England is the superpower of the day. And yet you won anyway. When John F. Kennedy in 1963 said, we're going to go to the moon by the end of this decade. That wasn't a slam dunk. That Everyone went, you're crazy. You did it anyway. Oh, did you just say you went to the moon? Yeah, I'm one of those I'm one of those kooks who believes you actually went to the moon. When Ronald Reagan said Mr President, tear down this wall, his own advisors didn't want him to say it. They said, Oh, that won't wind- that won't work out well. He said it anyway, and look what happened. When all people before Ronald Reagan were talking about detente and, you know, accepting some type of Soviet compromise. He was, no, we're going to call them the evil empire. And he won the Cold War without a rocket being shot. This is not my history. This is your history. There will always be people who will tell you, you can't do something. There will always be people who will say it's not possible. It's not realistic. If anyone tells you, especially about the future of America, that it's not realistic or it's not possible, tell them to read U.S. history. Because nothing you have ever achieved has been deemed possible by those in who were so smart and those who had knowledge. You know, if you want to take it from a right-wing point of view, just look at the Republican Party. From eight years, it went from being nothing to winning the presidency with Abraham Lincoln. Your country, if I may steal a tagline I put on a hoodie, America making the impossible possible since 1776. In fact, I probably should change that. America making the impossible possible since 1620. But I want to talk to you about your history. And I want to read something for you. Because I really want to encourage you. I really want to do a lot more this year to talk to you about how wonderful your nation is. And instead of me just telling you, I want to read from your history. And this, you should all know. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Britain, with an army to enforce her tyranny, has declared that she has the right not only to tax, but to bind us in all cases whatsoever. And if been bound in that manner is not slavery, then there is not such a thing as slavery upon earth. In case you don't know what those words are, those words are written by Thomas Paine. That is the start of the American crisis. Those words ring true today. Those words are critical because what word in there does not belong for 2020? 2020? You see, it's easy to fight for freedom when the other side has power. It's easy to fight for freedom when it's lovely and warm and it's all nice and the sun is shining and the days are long. It's all easy to be a patriot then. But your soldiers at your revolution didn't have those conditions. Your soldiers fought under the Continental Army, under General George Washington, A lot of them didn't have shoes. A lot of them didn't have their own bayonet and own musket. A lot of them didn't have proper food, didn't have proper bedding. They survived one of the most harshest, most brutal winters your country has ever seen. Why? Because they wanted that opportunity for freedom. When you think about failure, when people tell you you're going to fail, When you people tell you America's best days are behind her, you say, no, sir, they're not, or no, ma'am, they're not. I don't know what our future holds, but neither did our founding fathers, neither did your patriots, who fought around the world, who fought in the American Revolution, they didn't know what the future held either, but they were willing to pain, go through the pain, they were willing to work, they were willing to sacrifice. It is in the American DNA, and it is in my DNA, and that is what I am going to do. Win, lose, or draw. Because this is our country. I can't say this. These are the words I'm asking you to say. I am sick and tired of people telling people they can't do something. I am sick to death of people tearing other people down. We need to start raising people up. I am sick to death of people telling me America's best days are behind her. That what is happening right now is just something you have to accept and just get over. Bullcrap. Maybe it is. But maybe it's not. All I can tell you for sure is, the end is now, if we give up. If we are only sunshine patriots... If all we do is go, ah, this is the way it is, it's pointless, and start yelling at everyone else, and just expecting our yelling and our insults to change people's minds, to get them along to our side of point of view, we are going to lose, and we are going to use bigly. It's over. I don't know what the future holds, but I will say this. The history of America is making the impossible possible. But this principle has not just been enshrined in America. This principle of fighting, of willing to sacrifice, has been used by other countries at different times in history. Because one of the things I get all the time is, oh, you're always talking about America. America's great, John, but what about other people? Why isn't other countries great? Well, if I may read something else from you, to, and I ask you, as I read this, To say, would you join this man? I want to read something for you. And you may know this as well. You may not know the start of it. But when I get to the end of it, you should know this speech. It's a very famous speech. The British Empire and the French Republic, linked together in their cause and in their need, will defend to the death their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not believe for a moment, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. In case you don't know that speech, that was the end of a speech by Winston Churchill in World War II. We need to look within ourselves. If you believe in freedom, now is the time to look deep within yourself and go, what are you for? What are you for? We need to do several aspects. And I'm going to take you on a journey over the coming weeks and months. If you'd be so, so gracious to join me. We need to identify the enemy. And we need to have a real honest discussion about it. Because it's so simple today to say, Oh, the enemy is the left. The enemy is the media. The enemy is the Democrats. The enemy is not a person. The enemy is an ideology. The ideology of government, the ideology of control, the ideology of tyranny, the ideology that says, I know what's best for you, and I am going to compel you to act a certain way. But we also need to link arm in arm and understand that there's going to be a lot of pain. Your revolution was not without pain. There was a lot of pain and suffering in it. There was a lot of angst. There was a lot of sacrifice. Those 54 men were not little poor commoners who said, you know what? We need freedom. And I'm willing to risk my life for that freedom. They were men who could have paid the paid the, paid the the crown the tax. They could have went, you know what? I just don't want, I want an easy life. Just give them the money and just, just leave me the hell alone. They didn't. They sacrificed. And by God, should we be thankful for their, for their sacrifice? But we also need to overcome the fear. Because there is plenty of fear out there. And it's no different to World War II or to the Revolutionary War. There was lots of fear. There was lots of defeats. There was lots of failure. George Washington shouldn't just lead the Continental Army and go in and beat Britain. There was a lot of battles he got involved he engaged the British he then lost and then had to you know retreat and defend and then go on to another skirmish and then engage them again and lose and retreat. That happened time and time and time and time again. Likewise in World War II. There were times for the British it was looking really bad where Hitler was going to overrun them. But yes, we look on these people with adulation. We look on the founders as, my God, how great men they were. We look on people from World War II and call them the greatest generation. Why is it that we respect them, but we're not willing to do what they did? Or we're not willing to do it because we want comfort. We need to offer a new way forward. We need to offer a new way forward. Because if you look around this world, can you honestly point anywhere where freedom is growing? Can you point to a place where you go You know what, if things go really tits up in America I'm going there I know some of my friends on the right Oh, I'd love to go to New Zealand, really? I'd look into New Zealand a bit more if I were you You know, you're not thinking Oh, well if things go tits up, I'm going to Ireland I know some people have this love affair With Irish people, and I I hate to burst your bubble Irish people don't like freedom It's not ever been explained to them It's never really been understood Europe doesn't like freedom Europe does not understand it Asia doesn't like freedom, Australia doesn't like freedom. Where is freedom growing? Where is the influence of that Statue of Liberty shining that beak, beacon of hope and light and principles for the rest of the world to see? Where has that been shown right now? Where is that growing? Is that growing in America? I know everyone wants to, oh well what about the economy? Great, the economy is doing wonderful. But look at your constitution. Do you have more rights now than you did in 2016? Then in 2012 and 2008, and this is not an attack on Donald Trump or, Bra- or any of them. This is an understanding that this has been a progressive path for a hundred years. And we need to start rolling it back. The way forward is respan- resp- remembering and respecting the principles of nature's law and nature's God. Because I can tell you this, I believe firmly, hand on heart, if we return to those principles, we will have a beautiful and most prosperous future. We can turn this around. America, you've been on the brink of before. The world has been on the brink before. But the greatest generation saved us. Your founders saved you. It's now our turn. Are you going to step up? Or are you really going to tell me that I'm going to live and witness the first generation of Americans to say, you know what? There is this great trial, but we don't have it in us to get over it. We can't do it. I will not believe that for a second. I will join you. I will link arms with you and overcome this battle. It's going to be tired, but we are winter soldiers. Because our vision is for freedom Is for leaving people alone Is for nature's rights And we will fight you in the streets We will fight you in the hills We will fight you in the seas We will fight you anywhere To stand for those principles Because these are the principles that win And look at how you change the world I hope today's show has given you something to, to really think about And shown you where I'm going for this year I'm going all in Will you join me until next week? We finish the show the way we always do by saluting the real heroes in society, your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, your vets, your men and women overseas. The men and women, especially right now are in the Middle East who must be, I know I'm blessed to know several, many people in the military. I know those boys and girls are, they're fearless, but please, they need their protection. It can't be easy been in there knowing that anything could happen at any given time those boys and girls are heroes and lastly I salute you the great American people never ever forget the sentence of Stokeville America is great because Americans are good America is great because Americans are good you're not great because of Trump or the Democrats or the Republicans or Obama or any of them you're good because of your people you're good because of your principles and it is those two things combined that will overcome the darkness and the fear and the hate that DC and the media love to portray. Have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.